Since December 3rd, we've been going through a sermon series called The Characters of Christmas. And we've looked at various characters of the Christmas story. We've seen what we can learn from the life of Mary. We've seen what we can learn from the life of Joseph. We've seen what we can learn from the lives of the shepherds last Sunday. And today I want to talk about a collection of characters that we don't often talk about at Christmas time. Who do you think I'm talking about? Some collection of characters? No, we talked about them last week. The angels! Thank you, angel. And Chewy, yes, it's the angels we're going to talk about. Let's read the Christmas story as told by a man named Luke. Those of you who read your handout that you got on the door can see that the title says angels. So it wasn't really a trick question when I asked you who we're preaching about today. Let's read Luke chapter 2, 1 to 15. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. At the time of this historical event, the people of the Bible, known as the children of God, had not heard from God in about 400 years. 400 years, that's like going back to, what, is, what would that be? Like, like, is that like 1623 or something like that? Like, like, is that what it would be? Jasmine, thank you. It's like 400 years ago, it would be 1623. Imagine not hearing a prophetic word or having an angelic visitation or even the Holy Spirit talking to somebody for 400 years. Imagine what that would be like. That would be lonely. That would be quiet. No spiritual activity for that long. Then suddenly we're told that God's spirit is going to come upon Mary so that she'll conceive a baby. And then suddenly Joseph had a visit from an angel in a dream assuring him that the baby in Mary's womb is from God. And then suddenly an angel tells Zechariah, the priest, that his wife Elizabeth will have a baby in her old age. That's three angels, one to Mary, one to Joseph, one to Zechariah. And then Zechariah is told that the baby that his wife will have in her old age will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while in the womb. That's more spiritual activity. And then 
We're told that Mary's cousin's Elizabeth, cousin Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit as she speaks a blessing over Mary. And then we're told that Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, is filled with the Spirit as he prophesies about the child that was born to his wife Elizabeth. And then we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon a man named Simeon as he declared Jesus was the Messiah, meaning the deliverer of his people that they'd been waiting for. That is a lot of spiritual activity. All of a sudden, after 400 years of silence. And then, in the midst of all that, we're told that a great company of angels, a multitude of angels, appears to some lowly shepherds in a field. And if you weren't here last week and didn't hear that message that Charles preached about the shepherds, you can still hear it. You go onto gatewaywinnipeg.com, and in the top menu, there's a word, listen. You click on listen, and you can see the Gateway East podcast. And you'll be able to hear any messages you missed. And Charles preached a wonderful message about the shepherds last week that you can catch that way. But you can imagine how excited this man, a man named Luke was. Luke was another one of the writers in the New Testament who wrote the story of Jesus' life. And he wrote about all these examples of this spiritual activity that I just listed. How excited he would have been to list so many examples after so many centuries of silence. Something big was obviously happening for that much spiritual activity to suddenly erupt after so many years of silence. So of all the examples I've just listed, some Some sound impressive, but none sound so impressive and visually stunning as what the shepherds saw out in their field as the sky was filled with angels singing praises to God. There's no previous example in the Bible of a choir of angels singing to God. There there is an example of an army of angels that, that is talked about, and there are angels who visit people and talk to people in the Old Testament, in the Bible. But there's no example of a choir. So the shepherds would have had no example in their people's history to prepare them for what they saw. So before the Christmas story and before the earth was created, let's remember that God existed. Oh, wait a minute. I, I jumped ahead here. Jumped ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to just talk about the angels again. It says, you see on your sheet, any scriptures I refer to will be on this sheet so that, you know, it, it takes, it can, you can follow along with me as I'm reading any scriptures. We are not prepared much to talk about angels. How many here have seen or, or, or had a visitation of an angel? Or you suspect possibly? Okay, it's not uncommon for that to happen. No hands go up. The shepherds were unprepared for this because they didn't have anything in their people's history that prepared them for it. We're probably even less prepared because we, we see angels far less than what we see in the Bible. And yet, God says in his word, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. So we know they exist and we know they're out there doing God's bidding. It also says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. These angels are sent to serve God's people. Now, my wife actually, I've shared from a, in a sermon illustration a time my wife actually had an angelic visitation when she was in a hospital. 
I'm not going to share that story now, although I get pretty choked up just about every time I share it because it's so powerful and it's so clearly obvious that this couldn't have been a human being that visited her. But I've also had an experience where I saw an angel, or at least I believe it was an angel. Because angels don't necessarily look flashy with the glory of the Lord shining all around them. Sometimes they look like somebody that leave you unaware that you're actually encountering an angel. I was in Sudan. I lived in Sudan for a year when I was single. This was years ago in the late 80s, giving away a little bit of my age there. I was living in a desert village. And at one point, we had an emergency, and we had to travel from that desert village to the capital of Sudan, Khartoum. But the problem was we had to cross three wadis to get there. If you don't know what a wadi is, a wadi is like a dry riverbed in a desert that stays dry almost all through the year. But once a year, they have heavy rains, and those heavy rains fill those wadis with water, and then the wadi soaks into the ground, and it becomes a desert again, and it's very dry for the rest of the year. It's just once a year, they fill up. And they're very lush because they fill up once a year. Lots of shrubbery and plants grow in these wadis. So you can see them from afar. It's like you're approaching as if you're approaching a river. But when you get to the river, it's just sand and plants. Unless it's the rainy season when that once a year they get that rain. And we had to get to Khartoum for this emergency trip just after it had, these heavy rains had come. But we thought there'd been enough time passed that the water would have soaked in. So we thought it should be safe. So we got to the first wadi, and the wadi, to our shock, was not, the, the water hadn't soaked in. The, the water was like, it was like 50 yards, 50 meters of water, about knee deep in most places, sometimes even thigh deep. And we had to drive a land rover across this river. Now the problem is, underneath the water is just sand that has turned to mud. And so we're getting bogged down in sand up to our transmission, in knee-deep water. So you can imagine the effort it takes to dig out all this sand and mud, put branches underneath the tires as you push the vehicles. But the problem is all the branches that grow in these wadis have thorns about an inch long. And as you're pushing the truck over the branches to get traction, you have to keep pushing once the Land Rover gets past the branches, meaning that you're walking on these branches and you're in your bare feet because we don't have shoes in the desert because they just fill up with sand and they just become hard to wear. So our feet were getting cut up. We were pushing through this water and this mud and this sand. And you can imagine it's desert heat. This was in June, summertime in the desert. It was about 120 degrees in the shade and we were in the sun. So we were parched. We were tired. We made it through that first wadi. I don't know how many hours it took. Then we got to the second wadi, and we were relieved that there was no water. But instead of it being 50 yards of just sand where, where the, the, the water had soaked in, it was ditches, one ditch after another, one ditch after. And if you drove into a ditch, you'd find that the underneath that initial layer of sand, the mud was still very, very wet and slippery, and we, we couldn't get traction to drive out the other side of the ditch, so we'd have to dig out the other side of the ditch. We'd have to dig out the side of the ditch to drive out the other side, and then we'd go into another ditch and have to dig our way out of that ditch, and one ditch after another, digging our way out of each ditch. And we were hot, and we were tired. So before we entered that wadi, we thought, let's find the best place to cross. So our driver drove about 20 minutes to the north, 
just examining the wadi. He suddenly zoomed by and drove about 20 minutes to the south, examining where's the best place to cross. Then he came back. We'd been waiting there for him for about half an hour. And then he comes back and he says, hop in. I found a good place. He hops in. We hop in. We drive to that part of the wadi he thought looked best. We get out of the truck because we're going to have to push and dig, even though it's a good spot. It's going to still require digging. And we get into the first ditch, and sure enough, we're stuck. So we dig. We get out. We get into the second ditch. We're stuck. We dig. We get out. We get into the third ditch. We're stuck. We dig. We get out. All in the desert heat. And then, but as we were going into the wadi, we realized the closer we get from the edge, or the farther we get from the edge, the muddier it's getting. Makes sense, right? Because there was more water in the middle than the edges. And it's getting worse to the point where when we were on completely level ground, all four of our Land Rover tires were spinning. Like, like we were, like zero traction, just spinning. And pushing made no difference whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man walks out of the bush. And he starts talking to our driver in Arabic. And he says to our driver, you're not going to make it. Like, it gets worse as you go further into this wadi. And it's already taken us a couple hours just to get that far. And he said, I know of a better place for you to cross. You'll have to follow me. And then he walked away. Well, what is he doing? What is he walking away? We can't even move. Just a moment ago, all four of our tires had been spinning. By the way, I checked my journal. I wrote all this down in a journal once we got to Khartoum. 24 hours or 36 hours after this event happened. So my memory was fresh. Because I thought, as I, as I started thinking about this story, I started thinking, this is unbelievable. Nobody's going to believe me. But I wrote it down, and it happened. As he started walking away, we started pushing our vehicle again, and it started moving. And then our driver turned. You know how it is on ice? If you turn the wheel, it's even harder to keep moving in a slippery, in a slippery area. Well, we had to turn our wheel to, to turn and follow him. And we kept moving. In fact, we, we were able to stop pushing. And the vehicle was able to move without anybody pushing. And then this guy led us out to the original side we'd started on. He led us out of the wadi within five minutes. And it had taken us over two hours to get to the point we were at. And we didn't have to even use a shovel. I don't even understand it. I honestly can't understand. How is this possible? I wrote it down. Uh, it took us a few hours, two or three hours to get in. It took us five minutes to get out. As, and we didn't have to push once as this guy led us out. And we followed him. Then when we got to the side of the wadi, he said, okay, let's go. He hops in the vehicle. We drive a very short distance. Less time than our driver had taken as he went north. We went north for about five, between five and ten minutes north. And he said, there, stop. And we stopped. And at this point at the, in the wadi, the bushes came to a certain point and stopped. And then from the north, they came to a certain point and stopped. And there was a gap in the bushes. And in that gap, the wadi was completely flat all the way across. The ditches leveled out. The, 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 the foliage had a gap. It was like an open pathway across the wadi. So we just drove across without having any trouble at all. Now, when we, want, when, when we get to the other side, the angel, I believe he's an angel, he hopped out of the car, 
and we tried to give them some money because these are anybody who lives in the desert is extremely poor and they can always use money if it's offered. And he said, no, no, I don't want any money. I don't have any use for it. He actually said, I don't need any money. And then he walked away into the bush. <laughs> there's nowhere to live in there, you guys. There's no settlements. There's no villages. There's no towns. And he walked into the bush. And I remember thinking as we, I watched his eyes as he declined the money and as we talked to him, I remember thinking, this man has such gentle eyes. Like, he just looked so peaceful and gentle as he said no thank you to the money and he walked away. And we didn't see him again. Now I went and found a rock. There was a large rock over nearby. I went and I hid behind that rock and I wept. I mean, we were exhausted. The heat had exhausted us. The, the, the effort of digging had exhausted us. But just the, how close we came to losing our lives had exhausted us. And I wept. That experience left me in tears as I thanked God for his mercy. And yet it was just one angel saving one land rover full of people. But the shepherds witnessed a multitude of angels announcing a salvation available to the whole world. So this was an announcement of plans that God had made before the creation of the world. And so this Christmas, I want to look back at that before the manger scene. I want to look back and put Christmas in context. I want to go back before the, the mooing cows and the staring shepherds and talk about a heavenly scene, something in heaven, something that that angel I saw in Sudan, he's in heaven somewhere, unless he's helping someone else ministering to the saints. Before the angels appeared to the shepherds, those angels had to have received their instructions in heaven. So let's take a peek at that heavenly realm. Before the Christmas story, and before the earth was even created, let's remember that God existed in heaven for eternity past. The Bible says, you can see this on your, in your handout, before the mountains were born or you brought forth from the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In fact, God has always existed. And he existed as three persons who were in such complete and perfect unity with one another that they are literally one God. Three persons expressed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. In other words, before anything was created, God was not alone. God lived in community as three persons mysteriously united together as one. Jesus, the Son of God, is referred to as the Word. This came up in one of the songs Ed led us in. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in it. Here, all of a sudden, the writer talks about the Word as a he, a personal pronoun. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not Anything that was made was made. And the world, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Ah, we're talking about Jesus here. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The Bible also speaks of Jesus, God's son, when it says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or Rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
So that means Jesus created the angels. Those angels that came to proclaim his birth. But it's likely that he created the universe, or it's likely that he created the angels before he created the universe, because when he created the stars and the heavens and filled the earth with plants and animals, Satan was already disguising himself as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Who He'd already led a rebellion against God, and he was now trying to tempt Adam and Eve to rebel as well. But imagine those angels who were created before creation, before the world, before the universe. Imagine what their thoughts would have been as Jesus, as the word of God, spoke the universe into being, just filled the sky with billions upon billions of stars that they'd never seen before. And they would have, it would have been like, whoa, what is he doing? This is beautiful. And then as he expressed his creativity on the earth, he created such variety, such creativity was expressed. Do you know that there are thousands of species of butterflies? Do you know there are hundreds of thousands of species of flowers? God created each one of those flowers. Each one of those butterflies came from the mind of God and from the mouth of Jesus as he spoke these things into being. Imagine what the angels, the wonder that they would have felt as they looked at what God was doing, filling the earth. But then they watched as Jesus created the crown of his creation. He created man and woman in God's image. The angels might have understood that Jesus had had just created someone who could truly be children to God the Father because men and women were the only part of his creation that were created in his image. And though this fact would have caused great joy among the angels to see someone created in God's image, imagine their shock as they watched those beings who'd been created in God's image suddenly rebel against God. Because that's what they did. The angels in heaven who could see God in all his holiness would have understood the folly of rejecting God. They'd already seen what happened to Satan and his band of angels when they rejected God and they were thrown out of heaven. According to God's perfectly just ways, the penalty for rebellion against a holy God is a physical death that includes a spir- eternal spiritual separation from God. That's what it means to reject God. Eternal separation from him spiritually. To think that the punishment should be less is to minimize God's holiness and to minimize God's awesomeness. For created beings to reject the God who created us and then think we can just enjoy this world he created for us as if he didn't matter, it's just we who matter, is folly. Let me tell you something, though, about God. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. God wasn't shocked when Adam and Eve rebelled. And his infinite love as a father, because God is love, was not diminished by our rejection of him. It didn't shrink at all. God had a plan, and he immediately began prophesying that plan. This is the context of Christmas. As we look at God expecting and having a plan, 
In fact, God loves us even in our rebellion, and, and he, wants, he has this plan because he wants to save us from the consequences of our rebellion. The Bible tells us that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had a plan from even before the world was created. The Bible tells us, and this is referred to on your sheet in 1 Peter chapter 1, that chosen before the, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world to accomplish the salvation for us. The plan was for God's Son to become a man while still being God so that he could be a perfect substitute and taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. Perhaps the angels understood this. Perhaps in heaven, in the, that eternal realm where the angels exist, perhaps they understood God's plan. Perhaps they knew what, what God was up to. Perhaps they understood what God had in mind when he spoke through the prophet named Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Perhaps they understood all that. They said, ah, this must be what God is, is up to. He's going to save the, the human race. Or, or perhaps they didn't understand. Perhaps they were mystified by these prophecies as much as we as humans have been mystified them, by them over the centuries. But then, when God told one of his angels named Gabriel to go and tell Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I wonder if the angels then, when they heard that, said, Ah, now we understand. The prophecy is being fulfilled. I don't really know when the angels were let in on the plan. I do not know when they were updated. But... We do know that they were excited. They must have been excited when they were told what God was about to do. They were going to be given a part in a glorious plan for the same Son of God who they'd been created by and who they'd worshipped in heaven since the time they were created. That same Creator God was going to be born a man to save the human race. They were part of the plan. And years ago in my early 20s, I was a part of a wedding. I was asked to help at a wedding of two good friends, Lance and Sally Nelson. Some of you may know Lance and Sally. They were friends of mine from long ago. And I was at their wedding. And I had a, they told me the plan for their wedding and the part that I could play in that plan. And I was excited. The wedding would be at a chapel in which Sally, the bride, would have to wait in an alcove behind closed doors from, the, from, from a place in which she could not see past those doors. There were wooden doors. She couldn't see what was going on inside the chapel. She didn't know when her time to enter would come. So I was being given the responsibility to go and wait with Lance and his groomsmen near another door, near the back far side of the chapel. And when they went in and were properly in their places, then I was to run over to Sally, run into the alcove, and tell Sally that... He's ready. You can go in now. Now, I was thrilled with this role. I was thrilled. I had the privilege of essentially proclaiming to an eager and beautiful bride that her groom was ready and waiting for her. For her. You can go to him now. Come on. That's exciting. So I come running around the corner, and there's Sally waiting for me, and she was eager, she was waiting, and I say to her, Sally, he's ready. And she 
said, when she saw me come around that corner, she said, Ken, you had such a look of joy in your eyes. You looked so proud. I was proud. I was excited. I was happy for them. Imagine what the angels felt when they were told, you can go tell the people the good news of great joy. Imagine the look in their eyes. I'm sure that whatever, whenever it was the angels understood God's plan, when the time came for them to announce the news, they were probably competing for a place in that choir. Come on, I want to be in the choir. Who's going to be in the choir? I want to be in the choir. Uh, why can't all of us be in the choir? Maybe all of them were in the choir. I don't know. These weren't witless, unintelligent beings who went around without a clue of what was going on. They understood the significance of this. They were intelligent beings. They knew the human race had been created in God's image and that God loved them with a never-ending love. And I believe they would have been told that Jesus, their creator, had become a man to pay a penalty that, that, that we deserved so that those who believe and follow him could be forgiven and be saved. This was exciting. And of course, the angels knew Jesus in all his glory. In the context of Christmas, these angels had seen Jesus in his full glory in heaven. So they understood what it would have meant when, it, when the Bible says Jesus emptied himself. Emptied himself. Meaning he gave up his glorious place in heaven by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even, even death on a cross. And they would have been Excited as they understood that by doing that, the penalty would be fully paid for our rebellion so that those who received what Jesus did for them could be reconciled to God. And God could justly, justly, with justice, forgive us. The Bible says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will now appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So I have a question for you. This Christmas, as we celebrate Christ's birth, are you eagerly waiting for him? Are you eagerly waiting for his return, having accepted how he became a man to die for you? To take the punishment that we all deserve? Or... If you don't have that sense of anticipation, but you want to, you would like to now accept what he came to do for you. You want to celebrate Christmas in a brand new way this year because you want to share in that excitement that those angels must have felt as they came to announce this news. What those angels to, were instructed to announce was that God has a plan and his plan includes you. He has a plan that includes each one on this planet. But in order to be a part of that plan, we have to accept what he did for us. Do you want to accept what he did for you this morning? Do you want to accept that awesome, awesome gift of God giving his life for us? Your life isn't some accidental event that God has no concern for. God loves you and he has a plan that includes you and he sent his son for you as much as for anyone else on this earth. Sometimes God's plan can be hidden. 
for centuries, for who knows how long, when God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit came up with this plan. I don't know how long it was. No angel in heaven even knew about it. And certainly there were centuries when human beings didn't even understand it. But now we do understand. It's been revealed. And so it's no longer hidden. He has revealed it. Sometimes that's true for us personally. God has a, lot, a plan for each one of our personal lives. He, when he saves us, he saves us to fulfill that plan. He saves us to live the life that was intended for us. And it's never too late to live God's plans for us. But sometimes, just like his ultimate plans had been hidden for a long time, sometimes his plans for our life can be confusing. They can seem confusing. We, we, don't, we don't understand. He hasn't fully revealed what his plan is. If you feel confused about what's going on in your life, wondering why certain things are or aren't happening to you, let me encourage you, the message of the angels is meant to communicate to us that God has a plan. And he's had a plan since before you were born. And he wants you to experience that plan. It's a good plan. When the angels said, you'll find a savior, Christ the Lord, lying in a manger, meaning an animal's trough, the shepherds might have been confused. They might have thought, why is God sending his son to be in an animal trough? And we can be confused about our own personal lives. What's going on in my life right now? I don't understand why this is happening to me. And we can be confused about why God is allowing certain things. But whatever you're going through this morning, I want to encourage you to give God glory this Christmas. Which basically means thank him and praise him the way the angels did. Praise him and thank him, even if you don't fully understand his plan. And he will reveal his love for you. And if you'd like to accept what Jesus did for you right now, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I'm going to invite everybody who knows Jesus to pray along with me out loud to make it easy for somebody here who may not have ever accepted Jesus' gift of what he did for us at Christmas. They've never accepted it. Or maybe they have accepted it, but they wandered off and they haven't been walking with him for a long time, but they want to come back to Jesus. You can pray this prayer and come back to Jesus or come to him for the very first time. And then by accepting him, not just as our savior, but accepting him as the king in our lives, a king that we follow, you can experience the purposes God has for your life. If you want that, you pray along with me. Let's pray out loud. Jesus, repeat after me. Those who know Jesus, please pray with me. And that'll make it easier for those who want to pray for the very first time. Father, I thank you for what you did at Christmas. Thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, thank you that you came to save us. And that you have a plan for our lives. I want to accept what you did to save me. And experience your forgiveness. And now I want to live for you. I want you to be my king. And I want to follow you. And this Christmas, 
I give praise to you. And I give thanks to you. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or after being away from God and wanting to return to him, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I've got something I can give you, and I believe you'll, you'll find it helpful. So please come and talk to me afterwards. But now, I wonder if you'll indulge me. Would you? Three minutes, for three minutes. Can you indulge me for three minutes? Is that okay, David? I want to read a poem that I wrote six years ago about the angels. And I was going to put it on the handout, but then I thought, then people will read it ahead of time. And I don't want you to read it ahead of time. So bear with me now as I tell the story of the angels in poetry. Across the lofty, unbridged void at God's great throne above, a host of angels were convened to hear God's plan of love. They heard how he would save the world by sending his own son. They had been called to speak of it, and they must leave at once. These mighty angels felt great joy to be chosen and sent down. They finally saw how God would save the jewel of creation's crown. With excited hearts and blazing eyes, they in set formations flew down from the heavens like a flood of God's love for me and you. They rushed urgently, eagerly. They'd waited ages for this day. Something planned from long ago, now they finally knew the way. Their destination was not grand, not a palace, nor a crown. Just a humble little pasturage outside a tiny town. Luminescent, this luminescent heavenly troop looked not for crowds to grant a sight. Just a few simple shepherds whom God took notice of this night. Shepherds much ignored by most in a cold and lonely place. Simple men God longed to draw to receive his boundless grace. The angels must have noticed how fitting were these men. The Savior they would soon proclaim was a shepherd just like them. And these heralds must have also felt a sense of buoyant mirth. How would these sleepy men respond when angels hailed his birth? They came upon them unawares, just resting with their flocks. So to begin, just one shone forth to reduce the initial shock. That angel came upon them, lo, as God's glory shone around, the angel said, don't be afraid, as the shepherds cowered down. The angel shared good tidings, saying all people was who they're for. He said this day is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He told these simple, humble men of a baby in a nook. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, he said, in a stable. Go and look. Then suddenly a multitude. Praise God, the host did call. Glory to God in the highest peace and goodwill toward all. Silence of centuries broken by the sound of what was sung. The choir smiled at the wide-eyed men as they watched them rise and run. The shepherds fled eager to see the babe that had been sent. Then the angels sped into the skies, eager to share how it went. 
Myriad angels were at the gates to welcome the heralds back. And so loud was their rejoicing. Some on earth said, what was that? That was Christmas. Christmas.